Thank you, worship team. All right, church, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to the book of John today. We're going to be in John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the chair in front of you. Uh, We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Um, Take that one home with you. Let that be our Christmas present to you this year. We would love that. We would absolutely love that. So take that blue one home. Um, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. For the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be asking, why do we do some of the things that we do during Christmas? Why do we use some of the symbols that we use during Christmas? Um, okay, John chapter 8. Uh, who, who has their t- Christmas decorations up at home? Are you at that point? Okay, who doesn't? Do you want to name yourself? Shame for shame. Nancy, you don't, Nancy decorated the whole church, so she gets a little break. It's what? Who's it? Well, that's a good point, too. Who's coming over? Okay, that's a good point, too. Uh, okay, fess up. Who had your decorations up before Thanksgiving? Oh, you weirdos. I'm not sure that that's okay. I'm not sure. Okay, uh, this is the right time. Okay, this is the, I, I know the precise right time to put your, your decorations up. Okay, Thanksgiving, after your last bite of turkey, any time after that is okay to put, thank, put Christmas decorations up. Who's with me? Okay, yeah, okay, we're all, all on board. That's good to know. That's good to know. So, um, what did you put up? Did you put up a tree? Everybody's got to put up a tree. Did you put up, do you, do you have presents already? We got some presents under our tree already. And I'm surprised they're still there. I've got three little kids and they're, oh, presents. You know, that's kind of how they are. But they're still there. Uh, you got, uh, do you have lights? Do you have lights on your tree? Do you have lights on your house? Do you have lights on your mantle? Maybe. Do you have, you have a wreath? Do you have lights on your wreath? There's the thing about Christmas. Christmas decorations are all about lights, aren't they? They're all about lights. If you don't have lights somewhere, have you really decorated for Christmas? No, I mean, look, we've got lights there, we've got lights there, even the Advent candle. It's all about light. It's all about light. We even, you know, I, we don't have lights. We don't have those kind of lights up. We've got the lazy man's version of Christmas lights. You know what I'm talking about? We got, you know what I'm talking about, Mark. We've got a laser shooter. You know this? You put it, you put, it takes two minutes. You plop it on the ground and boo, it looks all pretty. So that lazy, we even have lazy man lights. That's what we use. Christmas is all about lights. And so the question that I ask is why? Why why is Christmas all about lights? What's the deal with that? Well, during the season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. During the, during the season that we celebrate Jesus as that we will see the light of the world. It's not right for our homes to be dark. As we celebrate the King of Kings, the King of Light being born, it's not right for our homes to be dark. In fact, even the songs that we sing are all about lights, aren't they? O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, O love's pure light. Radiant beams from Thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Even in in the songs that we sing. And so, light is so important to us in December 
darkness can return in January. But for the Christmas season, our homes and our churches are going to physically reflect the spiritual truth that the light of the world has come and His light shines in the darkness. Would you pray with me before we jump into God's Word? Father God, You are you are gracious and You are merciful. You are good and You are righteous. And Father, all of these things are true and all of these things have been true of You for eternity. But Father, we see them most clearly in You sending Your Son to be the light of the world. So Father, as we celebrate Him, as we celebrate Him in our hearts, as we celebrate Him with decorations and everywhere, everything in between, Father, may we understand what that really means. Father, may we realize, even as believers, there's still a battle going on between light and darkness in our hearts, Father. And Jesus can shine light there. And Father, if there's someone here who is not in the light, who has not given their life to the light of Jesus, Father, we pray that we make it clear today that that's what they need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, light is our theme today. We're going to read one verse. We're going to read one verse. John 8. 12. Let's read that together. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's all we're going to do today. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Life. Now that's a powerful statement anyway, but when we understand when and where Jesus said this, we start to, we start to realize that the bomb that Jesus dropped on the world by saying those things. Jesus said this during the Feast of Tabernacles. During the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple. And this is, this is what one uh, Jewish contemporary scholar said about the Feast of Tabernacles. He said this, if you've never seen the joy during the Feast of Tabernacles, you have never truly seen joy in your life. That's a party I want to go to. If you've never been there, you've never seen joy. If you've never been there, you've never seen a a true party. That's the situation that we're in here in John chapter 8. Exuberant celebration. And this celebration includes the celebration of the light of God. That was a central theme during the Feast of Tabernacles. They would gather in the temple. All good Jews would gather in the temple from all over the country. And the highlight was these giant, we're talking to the ceiling, giant candles in the temple. And during the night, a priest would climb a ladder to the very top of that candle. And everybody would be gathered. And there would be a hush over the crowd. This giant crowd. And as the priests would go up those candles, they would begin to light the wicks. And to kind of give you an idea how important these candles were, the wicks of these candles were made not of normal stuff. They were made out of the clothes of the priests. They were holy. And they would light these candles and the whole temple would erupt 
the priestly band would start playing. The godly men of the community would have a torch in one hand and they would dance and they would sing. And the whole community would join in and watch this spectacle. And it would go on for hours and hours in the middle of the night. And it was so massive. And it was so important. And these lights were so huge that it was said you could see the glow from anywhere in the huge city of Jerusalem. You could see the light. And it was all to celebrate what God has done for His people. It was all to celebrate the light of God. Dancing and singing. They'd celebrate the light of God's creation. They'd celebrate the light of God's presence, the light of His glory, the light of His salvation, the light of His message, His protection, His guidance through the wilderness. A huge celebration. The biggest party you can imagine. Biggest party you can imagine. It's like the lighting of the tree at Rockefeller Center. You're, you're familiar with that? It's like that combined with the lighting of the plaza. You ever been there for that? Really beautiful. All the lighting around our country combined into one. That's what's going on there. This huge patriotic, it's like the 4th of July, patriotic celebration, worship service. All of our holidays combined into one. That's what's going on here. God is our light. God is our light. And then this guy Jesus shows up. And we don't know exactly when he said this. Maybe it was during the dancing and singing. Maybe it was during the day while they were preparing. We don't know when. But we know where. Jesus was standing amongst those giant candles. He had his group of his disciples. And the temple was packed. And Jesus teaches this. You see those candles up there? You know how we dance and we sing and we celebrate the light of God? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Perhaps it was during the singing and dancing and perhaps Jesus stood up and said, no, 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 I'm the light of the world. I kind of like that version. We're not sure which one. But whatever it was, was incendiary. As Jesus spoke this, Pharisees in the crowd shouted, No, you're a liar! John ends this passage in a few verses by by being kind of surprised by saying they didn't arrest Him. Because it wasn't His time. Meaning, what He said there deserves to be punished. You're a liar! Well, why is that such a big deal? Seems like such an innocuous, such an such a, such a easy thing to say. I'm the light of the world. Why? Why all the hatred from that? What is Jesus really saying? In the midst of this patriotic fervor, in the midst of this worship service, unlike any worship service, it'd be like somebody coming in here and saying, I am George Washington and Jesus Christ. How would we feel about that? That's the kind of shock in the midst of this worship service. Under the lights that represented God's relationship with His people. 
In saying, I am the light of the world, Jesus is saying, all your dancing, all your singing, all your decorations, you might not know it, but they're all for me. I am the light of the world. And if it couldn't even get any more clear, I am. That is the statement that Moses hears when he is introduced to the God of Israel in the burning bush. Who shall I say sends me? I am that I am. I am the light of the world. I am everything you love about the light of God. I am everything you celebrate about the light of God. I am everything God has sent to you. I am. I am He. I am He. There's a lot. There's a lot of light in the Old Testament. There's a lot of things that Jesus is that we can't dive into today, but we're going to dive into three things. What does Jesus really, what what does he mean? What does God mean when he says Jesus is the light of the world? The first thing he means is I am the light of creation. I am the light of creation. From the very beginning, we are introduced to this dynamic of light versus dark. From the very beginning, We are introduced to God's creative power, His showing light, His destroying darkness with light. We get this at the very beginning of the book, Genesis chapter 1. That's the very first verse. Genesis chapter 1 through 4 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light! And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. That is the literal light of the world. And so when the Jews are celebrating this, that's part of what they celebrate. This is the light of creation. And so what is Jesus saying? By saying, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I was there. I'm the light of the world. I was there. I was at creation. I'm the guy who got it done. I am God. Who else was there? He's the eternal God. Who else can create like that? He is the eternal God. I am the light of the world. But was it for me? If I didn't exist, there would be no light. There would be no light. And some Pharisee is going to say, as we said, you're a liar. And then Jesus says, well, you don't know where I have been or where I am going. Where has he been? He's been in eternity past. He's been at creation. He's been at creation. He is the literal light of the world. And part of what is infuriating the Pharisees and in my self-righteousness, I would be right there, is to say something like, you're saying you're God? That you go eternity past? God is too good and holy to walk around with people like you. That's what I'm going to say. Are you with me? I'm offended by that. My God wouldn't 
come down into the dirt and grime and s- of sinful humanity? Mal is watching a show about British royalty. All right, I'm kind of watching it with her. But uh, what's, what's really interesting to me is that the queen has lots of rules with, with commoners like us. Okay, great. Lot, lots of rules. Lots of rules. You must bow or curtsy. That's kind of a, that's an easy one. We all know that. You cannot touch her. That's something. A commoner cannot touch the queen. In fact, Michelle Obama on one of their visits accidentally, you know, she just kind of absentmindedly touched the back of the queen's, her back, and it's kind of a big scandal. You can't touch the queen. The queen is so far above us, you know what? You are actually at the mercy of the queen's purse. Did you know that? If you're eating with, if you happen to be able to eat with the queen, next time you're eating with the queen, remember this, and that'll, that'll help you out. If she places her bag on the table, that is your last bite. You're done. If you're speaking to her, if she swaps her purse from her left hand to her right hand, that means that is your last word. Your conversation is over. If you happen, if you're a noble and you happen to get, be able to ha- give a handshake to the queen, two pumps and you're done. Even her husband must walk two steps behind her. I thought that was true of everybody. I guess it was just true of the queen. Um, if you want to stick around to see if I'm brave enough to say that in second service, you know, you go right ahead. All these are rules to, to make sure we know that she is separate from us. And if that's what we feel about a human royal, what should we imagine about the King of Kings, the one who created all things, the one who spoke light into existence? And so it's so terrible for the Pharisees because no, 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 no. One of the reasons is no, 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 no. You're crazy. God would never set foot around. And the Pharisees, probably like me, probably says, God would never step foot around you and your disciples. He might come to me, but not you. There's too much sin going on around here. But that's the point, isn't it? God has walked among us. What kind of grace and mercy is this? I can't even walk around the queen and the creator and sustainer of the universe. All powerful, never sin, all righteous, all good. He walked among us. And I will hug him someday. Unbelievable. For God to walk among us. Jesus is the light of the world. For God to walk among us, he must mean business. Are you with me? He must mean business. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send a soldier. He came Himself and walked among us. Your sins are a big deal and God has come and He means business to remove them from you so that you may be with Him forever. God means business. In the beginning... The earth was formless, chaos, and Jesus took the chaos and made something good. Jesus is the light of the world who takes formless, lifeless 
shapeless chaos and turns it into good. What does that mean for your life? What does that mean for your life? Does your life feel like chaos? Does your life ever feel like chaos? Like you can't ever get ahead, like, you, like it's purposeless. Do you ever suffer and feel that the chaos has overwhelmed you, that there's no purpose for these things? Jesus is the light of the world. And He has promised to take your life and if you follow Him, He is going to bring order out of chaos. You know what that means? Does that mean your life will be easy? Does that mean your life you'll never suffer? No. To take chaos and make order means everything that happens in your life has an eternal purpose. Isn't that good? He takes the chaos of your life. He says, yes, the suffering, even a chaotic suffering in your life, I will take and I will make it have an eternal purpose that you will be grateful for. Isn't that unbelievable? So the question in our, our lives, is, this is the question. Non-believer, is your life chaos? Do you feel that things are happening in your life for no purpose? Do you feel like you are formless? Darkness is all about you. Do you feel that? Jesus says, come and follow Me, and just as I did at the beginning of creation, I'll take your, your chaotic life and I will put, it, put order to it. You need that. You need Jesus. Christian, are we ever tempted to fall back into that chaos? Are we ever tempted to forget that everything that happens to us, because we are in Christ, everything that happens to us happens in an orderly way for God's glory and for our eternal good? Do we forget that? Don't slip back into chaos. He's given order to our chaotic life. Don't slip back. Don't slip back. The second thing that Jesus is talking about is that He is the light of guidance. He is the light of God's guidance. One of the main themes of the Feast of Tabernacles was how God led the people of Israel out of Egypt and across the wilderness to the land of, of promise. To the new land flowing with milk and honey. And the way He did that, the way He led them in the wilderness was that He was a pillar of fire at night so they knew the direction to the promised land. That's what they celebrate. This is what it says in Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Get this, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people of God. It gave them direction. It guided them in the wilderness. You ever, you ever experience how difficult it is to walk in the dark? You know, everybody knows that. Right? Where your pinky toe is a heat-seeking missile to that cabinet or that, that chest of drawers. You know what I'm talking about. Or you're like me and you've got Barbie dolls and you've got stuffed animals and you've got Legos laying all over the house and you go check on the girls and you scream and you fall over when you step on one and they all wake up. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. We cannot live our lives effectively without light. Are you with me? In the same way, 
Israel would not have found the promised land without the pillar of fire, without God's light showing them the way that they were going. And this was what was in mind when Jerusalem, when the temple, with those candles shined the light on all of Jerusalem so everybody could say, that's where I need to be going, the temple of God. It's our guidance. They wouldn't have survived wandering in the desert without the light of God's guidance. I mean, think about that. If, if God's light, if the light was all taken away, how, what would our life be like? What if there's no sun? You ever think about what would happen if the sun just turned off like that? Some scientists apparently have, I was about to say nothing better to do than do that, but study these things. Well, if, if the sun went out like this, it, it, would be, take, it would take eight minutes for us to notice. Isn't that crazy? Take eight minutes for us to notice. It takes that long for light to come from the sun to the earth. And then after eight minutes, complete and utter darkness. Think about that. Utter darkness. The moon would disappear from sight. Isn't that crazy? Because the moon reflects the light of the sun. The earth would become much colder. Within a week, the average temperature would drop to freezing all over the world. Within a year, the temperature would dip well below negative 100 degrees. It would be so cold that the atmosphere would eventually fall to the earth. What does that even mean? And of course, all plants and animals and fish and people would die. Without light, we are hopeless. And in the same way, a heart without the guiding light of Jesus will freeze itself to death. Are you with me? A heart that is not following Jesus will eventually freeze itself to death. Every heart that is in hell is experiencing what it means to be without the guiding, life-giving light of Jesus. C.S. Lewis depicts it kind of like this, that, that when we are in hell, we suck into ourselves so much. We are without the light of God it's so totally dark that we just can't help but suck into ourselves and our heart just shrivels up and you can get a sense of what Jesus says when it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's just so freezing. Our hearts are so cold. And so Jesus has come as the light guided the people of Israel through the wilderness. Jesus has come and His light is to guide us through the wilderness of life. This is a very practical thing. This doesn't even have to be eternal yet. It's a very practical thing. If you follow Jesus, your life will be better. Period. Are you with me? If you follow Jesus, your life will be better. Period. Now, what didn't I say? I didn't say it'd be easier, did I? I didn't say it'd be more comfortable. It's not going to be. I said it would be what? better. It'll be significant. It'll have eternal impact, eternal consequence. If you follow Jesus, your marriage will be better. Your relationships at work will be better. Your your relationship with your neighbor will be better. You will raise your kids in a better way. You'll be able to weather the storms of life in a better way. All those things are true because Jesus has promised, I am the light of the world. I am the guide that God has given you through the wilderness. Follow Him. Follow Him out of the chaos of your life. 
This is so true that all the kids in Israel would memorize Psalm 119.105. We memorize it too here, don't we? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Follow Him. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. He's saying that to a crowd of people probably have an adulterer out there. Probably have someone who's, who's dying of greed. Someone whose heart is shriveling up against their spouse. All these things are going to be saying, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Follow me. Just as the light shines in Jerusalem to say, go to find God's presence in the temple. Follow me. Follow me. Finally, of course, the most important one, the exclamation point. The exclamation point. Jesus is the light of salvation. Of course, Jesus is the light of salvation. That pillar of light Israel followed didn't just bring Him through the wilderness so they could die right there. Where did, he, where did it bring Him? That light, the pillar of fire brought them to the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. I'd rather be Dr. Pepper barbecue, right? But, but the, point, the point of it, right? When you're, all you drink is, is nasty stuff, milk is good. When all, when all you eat, when you don't have sugar like everybody else does, you, honey is a big deal, isn't it? Flowing with milk and honey. A land where it will be their land their kingdom. A land where they will be protected by God. As long as they stay obedient, the other nations are going to be gone. God's going to do amazing things to keep them out. What a great land. Never a contentious election. A amen? Anybody want to move there? Yeah. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's where I want to be. And that, of course, is Israel is, is us. Israel is the church that Jesus takes us through the wilderness. We follow Him, the light of God and the pillar of fire, and He brings us into the promised land. Of course, that is what Jesus is. The light of salvation. And that is the most, that is the biggest bomb He has dropped yet. He's telling this crowd, you cannot be the light of your own salvation. The law, the Torah, the Ten Commandments is not the light of your salvation. And Paul's going to come later and say, following the law, the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show you you are not the light of your own salvation, that you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Just as I was with Israel, he says, I am the light that will guide you through the wilderness and through the darkness of this world into a promised land flowing with milk and honey where God has forgiven your sins. Think, think, about, think about how that pillar of fire made Israel feel. Think about that. So I'm leading my five-year-old, my three-year-old, my ten-month-old, and my wife. We have just left slavery in Egypt, and we're not following we, the Egyptian army. We just saw get splattered by God, and we're in the desert. We don't know where we're going to get our next meal. Nobody brought any food, 
right? Nobody brought any water. What, how are we going to survive out here? I'm going to take care of my kids out here. What if God just did that and then expects us to be on our own? We don't even have an army. What if, that, what if they send another army? It, Egypt's big. They probably got more armies, more soldiers. What if they send another one after us? We're, we're slow. I got to carry my kids. I mean, we're not going to escape anybody. What are we going to do? Think about your, your, your thinking through that and you're following. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the sun is going down and you're thinking, oh, it's going to be dark soon. What are we doing here? And then just as the sun goes down, you see the fire of God. How do you sleep that night? You sleep good that night. How comforted do you feel that God is still with you? Did you hear how it said in in, in Exodus? And the, the cloud and the fire did not depart from God's people. That's His presence. His presence was there. How do you sleep that night? You sleep good. You sleep good. Showing It is showing you that as you bring your children and your grandchildren and your wife and as you bring yourself through the wilderness, God is there and He will bring you over. And so, that is your experience. And so what am I going to teach my kids since that is the experience of salvation for our people? I'm going to teach them Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And let's fast forward a few thousand years, a thousand, fourteen hundred years, and Jesus is coming, and I'm taking my kids to the temple, and we're celebrating, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm at an impasse. I'm at an impasse. Jesus says He is the light, and He is salvation. What am I going to do? Who am I going to follow? And that's what Jesus does to every single one of us. He is the light of salvation. You have heard that from the Word of God. You are at an impasse. Are you following Jesus through the wilderness into the promised land? Or are you stumbling and bumbling in darkness and will your heart be so cold that it will finally shrivel within your chest as you're away from God forever? What are you going to do? Jesus is my light and my salvation. And we have a lot of, in common with the people of Israel in the desert, don't we? Our lives often feel like, the, like we're in a desert. and we can, we're, fo- we're following Jesus and it's hard. Sometimes it's hard every step of the way. And we're following the light of Jesus as best we can. Sometimes we take two steps back. Sometimes we take 20 steps back. But we get back on track. He brings us back on track and we keep following Him. But we have one important difference between ourselves and the people of Israel. People of Israel were able to eventually get into the promised land. We have one stop to make before we get into the promised land. There's a hill in Jerusalem that we must stop at before we enter into the promised land. And that is the hill of Calvary. We do not enter the promised land as they entered the promised land. We must stop at Calvary where the light of the world died. And where Scripture tells us after His death, when the light of the world died on Calvary, it became literally dark as night as if the sun itself died. And it was dark for three days. But just as 
when our sun sets, it rises again, the light of the world. Because He is God. Because He is the light of creation. Because He's the light of guidance. Because He's the light of our salvation. He does not stay dead. Just as our sun will always rise the next morning, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, rose from the dead. And because He did, we can enter into the promised land. We can enter into the promised land. It's like the song that we often sing here. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. The light of the world was crucified for our sins. He died and was buried and He rose again from the grave. And He declares victory for all who follow Him. So what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So that is why we celebrate with lights during Christmas. That's why we teach our kids what Jesus is all about and why they get presents and why we decorate our house. What do we do? There is no compromise. You can be the Pharisee. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You can say, you're a liar! You can say that. Or you follow Him into the promised land. I am the light of the world. That's what He says. I am the light of the world. What do we do? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you follow Him? Do you follow Him? It's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple. It's not easy. It's simple. There's one thing to do. You follow Jesus. You follow Him. Are you following Him across the desert? You know if you're not. Are you following Him across the desert? Are you following the light of the world? We have this little card. Darren's been doing a great job with these. These are in the pew back. And, and we're calling these next steps. You following Jesus? Here's a, here's, this is what we do when we follow Jesus. The first step, salvation. Do you repent and believe? Repenting is basically saying you're wandering the desert and then you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Have you repented and believed? That's your first step. And if you have repented and believed, the next step, just like it says on the card, baptism. Have you showed this church, this community, have you showed a community of believers that you follow Jesus? That's what that means. When we baptize somebody, we say, I am following Him in His death and I am following Him in His resurrection by the grace of God. Have you been baptized. The third thing, the third step, super clear in Scripture. Do you have a church family? Are you a member of a community of believers? I can be a Christian by myself at home. Maybe, but you can't faithfully follow Jesus without having a church family. Being a member. Maybe you're not a member of Trinity yet. Why not? It's a, great, it's a great way. You can be part of us. You can help us make decisions. You can do those things. If you're, not, if you're not a member, sign up. Put a check mark there. We'd love to talk with you about what that means. 
And finally, when you have those steps, when you are faithfully following Jesus, what are we called to do? We have a mission to make more faithful followers of Jesus. To be walking through the desert following the light of the world just as Israel did. And we're pulling people aside. Come on, come follow me. Come follow me following Jesus. Come follow us following Jesus. Come follow Jesus with us. That's our mission. That's why we're here. Church, that's why we're here. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. The Pharisee called Jesus a liar. Jesus says to him, you don't know where I've been. And He also says, you don't know where I'm going. Well, where is He going? If you're going to follow Jesus, where is He going? And are you going with Him? Okay, I'm going to read to you where, Christian, if you're following Jesus through the desert, this is our promised land. Non-believer, if you're a Pharisee calling Jesus a liar, this is, where, this is what you are missing. Here's our promised land. Listen to the light in here. Listen to the light. Listen. Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. And get this, this is our promise, and this is where we're going. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp or or light of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Unbelievable. We are following the light of the world. And when we enter into that promised land, we are going to be so full of Jesus He's going to be with us so much and so intimately that we will not need the sun because we'll be so near, we'll be so close to the light of God. We hope that is true of you. Christian, I hope that encourages you. Would you stand with us as we sing together?